if you're running ads on Facebook and that's your only channel, why do you need an attribution tool? I'll tell you where every one of your customers came from. They came from Facebook. No customers, your ads aren't working. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You can achieve the same result with a little bit of manual work, but I think people were just really looking for a solution to fix Facebook fucking up or whatever. I just recorded a good 11 minutes of Mr. Ridge Wallet singing the stories and I was in producer mode. So I was listening really eloquently um, and carefully, but didn't record shit. So we start again and you tell us the story of how you got into selling wallets for a living. Down to Chat is brought to you by Peel. I know Black Friday this year has been nuts and I wanted to take two minutes to walk you through some of the things that we look at in Peel to understand how we did retention-wise as well as obviously acquisition-wise. This is being shared on video if you're on Spotify or YouTube. If not, you can take a look there, but I'll also try to make it as audio-friendly as I can. So first things first, we are always looking at distribution by order number um, to understand like what percentage of these customers that came in over Black Friday are first time versus second time versus third time or fourth, et cetera. So in, in our case, you can see 55% of the customers uh, were, were new customers, which is obviously amazing, but also it's interesting to see that there are folks that have ordered six, seven, eight, nine times that are still coming back, uh, that are still coming back on Black Friday. The next thing we look at is uh, returning customers by cohort to get a better understanding of are there spikes that we're looking at in terms of, you know, the second month, third month, fourth month. What you can see here is January, February, March customers had a spike in April, May, which is when we launched our foundation, but also again around Black Friday, um, which is obviously amazing to see that we're kind of re-engaging these folks. Another fun dashboard we look at is year over year. So having a better understanding, not just on the gross sales and, and, and orders, but also on AOV, products sold, et cetera, and, and you know, discounting if applicable. The last interesting thing um, I love, we've spoken about audiences in the past, but this is especially interesting because we can see first time customers that came in Black Friday to get a better understanding of obviously their AOV, um, their LTV and all that fun stuff. But we can also export this audience into Klaviyo to send them unique messaging or attentive to send them a text or hell even turn them into a direct mailer uh, audience of customers, which is great. The last thing, which I don't have on this loom, um, is looking at gifting. So we can kind of take a group of customers and segment the folks that have different shipping and billing, um, and then assume that they are sending gifts and maybe message them differently, which is fun um, and a different way to slice and dice, which is the name of the game. One last thing for listeners of Down to Chat, if you want to give Peel a shot, you can go to peelinsights.com forward slash more forward slash down to chat for 20% off the first three months. So again, 20% off for the first three months, go to peelinsights.com forward slash more forward slash down to chat. Me and Connor started an agency business damn near 10 years ago, really close to maybe eight, something like that. We were both incredibly young, maybe 21, maybe 22. We had no money, but we worked at an agency and we thought we could do it better. So we started the agency business. We had eight clients and one of them was Rich Wallet, very similar to us. A couple of guys, you know, they don't have that much e-com experience, you know, a little bit, but like they had no interest in really building and scaling a brand. So we merged. I've been running the thing as CEO. He's Connor's still my CMO. Bootstrapped five or six of us on the cap table, and the rest is history. We've we've been, I mean, me and Connor have been involved for I don't know, like yeah, a long time, and. We got to nine figures, still on the whole thing, and we're just having fun every day. So that's what we're doing. I mean, you have a you have a monster team, like you have a, a pretty solid team. You also talk about the fact that you filled this kind of mid mid level. People either go luxury or kind of go for twenty dollars on Amazon. You kind of created a new niche. 
talk a little bit about the fact that people usually buy a wallet once in their life and when there's a lifetime warranty, your LTV is one wallet? You know, people often hear about our success and they're like, I should be, I should start a wallet company. And I'm like, yeah, good fucking luck. It's the world's worst business to be in. <laughs> there's two ends of the wallet market. There's entry point uh, for a luxury brand, right? So Gucci, Louis Vuitton, they sell a fuck ton of wallets. And then there's commodity goods, like people buying a $20 wallet from Walmart or Amazon or wherever else, right? There's not that much in between. We were, you know, very, very early to building out that middle market. We're going to build an accessory, accessible luxury brand around you know, $90, $100 or whatever in the wallet space. We've been able to scale, obviously, right? I think I, I often tell people we're the world's biggest wallet company, but it's like, yeah, we're the biggest minnow. Like wallets as a category is so ignored by so many people, <laughs> right? Uh, and for, for good reason, right? Either you're Louis Vuitton and like wallets, you just sell them because it's the cheapest thing you sell, right? Like people are going to buy them, but you really care about the, you know, like the, the fine leather goods, like the handbags or the runway shit, right? Or like you're just, <laughs> you know, pumping out with low margin products. So it's really hard to build in this space. LTV is horrible, right? People really only buy one wallet. Usually someone buys it and gives it to them. You know what I mean? Like they, everyone has one, everyone uses one. Uh, people don't really care about them. So I'm very open that we're not a wallet company anymore, right? Like us getting into rings, uh, you know, rings next year is a guaranteed eight figure business, potentially a nine figure business, right? Because there's already an established uh, market there, right? With wallets, not really. Like you're either, you're either a luxury brand or you're, you're a commodity good. But rings, there's people buying them every single fucking day, right? And there's already big brands doing that. And we can just enter with our unique spin on it. Um, and we have a bunch of other categories in the works. We launched watches. That was super great. Uh, we sell key cases. But we have, towards the end of next year, you're going to see some very massive category plays coming out of Ridge. I, I have so many questions, um, but before any questions, some of the jokes that you've been saying over the last five minutes are hitting better because it's the second time around for me. So I think that <laughs> I think that's always a win. Um, I think that the 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 LTV, like the kind of a lot of the re the ways you're describing Ridge in terms of like the space and the market it holds, kind of give me away vibes where it's like they before away came in, it was like to me. Remoa, and then there were like this, like super cheap, and they built this like three, four hundred dollars space that nobody thought existed. And and I think it's, it's kind of interesting, both from like the LTV perspective, right? Like you buy a wallet, it lasts for for a decade, but also you have like arguably one of the best warranties. Like it's like lifetime warranty, no questions asked, which I think is is also kind of makes you think of like, oh, okay, it makes sense to go wide. Um, question: is, is it easier to kind of like, are you thinking about rings as going after? repeat customers or are you kind of thinking about that as an acquisition tool as well yeah so we think about products as cac products or ltv products right so uh the the challenge of rings and look we did a ring launch we have millions of customers we emailed about it but rings are only applicable to right a select portion of them right it's like people who need a ring right now so we got some ltv juice out of it like you know, some people on our customer list bought them, but really it's an acquisition tool, right? Like we're seeing it just crush an acquisition because if you need a ring, there's maybe a one month period of time where you actually absolutely have to get one. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's, it's the first time that we sell a product that has built in urgency, like a wallet. Mm. 
you could just put the cards in your pocket. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you don't, it's not right. actually a necessity, right? But for a lot of people, a ring is, uh, and there's like a built down, like, you know, time with everyone's purchase. So it's really working in acquisition. Uh, we have different products that are LTV plays, right? Like uh, we sell a key case, which looks like the wallet, right? So, you know, most of our purchasers are buying carbon fiber or something similar. So like a higher end, you know, material, functionally it's the exact same as the aluminum wallet so they're spending more for aesthetic reasons so we make a key organizer we make it the same aesthetic a ton of people are buying those right so like that's an ltv product for us it's like we have to design things to increase ltv and we design other things for like you know a cat category uh the away analogy is really awesome um yeah away was like you know, I love Ramoa, right? I think they have amazing designs. I also love like whatever you, you could go on Amazon and buy four pieces of luggage for like $150 right now. And like there's buyers that end yep. up the spectrum. That's what I always tell people uh, who want to get into apparel. It's like, oh yeah, you know, there, there's t-shirts that sell for $1,200 and there's t-shirts that sell for $1.20. It's like, there's a buyer at every end of the spectrum. Um, we just went really wide by like, you know, $100 is like the perfect gifting amount and we can just, dominate a market with a, with a very, you know, special and unique good, right? Um, and then, yeah, the lifetime warranty piece, uh, we did that because, you know, people aren't going to buy that many anyway. <laughs> like, even if we didn't have the warranty. Like, <laughs> it was a safe bet. <laughs> yeah, like, imagine, imagine if, like, okay, you know, it, they're, they're not that hard to, there's definitely pieces that could break, and right. the amount of people who are going to break them and who are going to buy another, it's just, it just makes sense. So like, Hey, we're just going to take care of all these customers. They've already given us the money. We're here if they need anything. So yeah, man, that's, that's, that's the way we think about it. Have you, have you tested it on, on acquisition? Um, like highlighting that lifetime, uh, lifetime warranty versus not, I think it would be pretty strong. You know, I don't think we've specifically tested leaving it out. It's just something we have. Right. So like, I think it's in, it's in like, you know, our seven reasons why it's one of them. You know what I mean? It's right. like, hey, look, if, if, if anything fucks up, we're here for you, right? Um, and yeah, man, I know, I know this is, this is, uh, this podcast is all about retention, LTV, you yeah. know, customer service. Like, you know, every day we're shipping hundreds of warranty claims. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to throw out really? exact numbers, but like last month we sold, uh, it's in the hundreds of thousands of wallets last month. You know what I mean? Like this year will be in the millions of wallets we've sold. So uh, yeah, you know, we, we, we get, we get a lot of warranty claims and we're, we're here to take care of anybody who needs it. It's, it's so fascinating because I, as, as somebody that heard about Ridge on Twitter and, and knowing you as the wallet guy, which we mentioned earlier is now wallet Ridge watch guy. Like I, I had no fucking clue as to how, um, as to how kind of like, across the board this is like you sent me a couple of wallets my nanny who watches my son was in my house and she's like my boyfriend has this they're from arizona i think it's just like i posted on twitter and a bunch of people comment like i think it's it's pretty shocking again as to as to how wide you've gone just in terms like there's no kind of regular ridge customer right like is is that fair to say there's no there's no like standard 26 year old dude that that's a ridge customer right yeah, man. Uh, people hate this, but uh, people always ask like, oh, who's your customer? And I'm like, 
uh, all men, some women. That's the current customer base. We're trying to sell a lot to every man and some women. And, you know, the second piece, some women, we haven't done that good of a job. We're working on fixing that, right? Uh, you know, one in five women own a gun. So, you know, at the very least, we could sell wallets to 20% of women, right? And then it's like, so really, we probably sell wallets to 50% of women, right? Because like, not only gun guys buy Ridge wallets. So uh, cur- <laughs> currently, it's all men, some women. Hopefully, we can increase that second piece. Wait, wait but it is it is kind of a bullet repellent, right? That guy in the Facebook comments was like, he. you mentioned he held it in front of a bullet and some, somehow saved his life and, and is in Ridge Hall of Fame. Yeah, so I think so. It's kind of a no brainer. I I didn't want mean to brag. We've saved at least I think two lives uh, from people getting shot. Get out of here. We've saved, dude. I could send you photos. Hundreds of legs. Like, there's something that happens where guys are like they're using a chainsaw, and like the chainsaw will kick back, and like it hits them in the leg, and it just happens to be where their ridge wallet is. Like. Dude, out, we have dozens of people who email like, yeah, holy shit, you saved my leg. I'll send them over. It's pretty insane. Dude, uh, what the hell? Wait, I'm a guy that never held a saw in my life, and I'm just like typing on a keyboard. But hey, Rich has saved my, my life a couple of times in the last couple of days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So. I'm sure. Uh, but anyway, if anyone's listening and they're using a chainsaw, do not fucking put <laughs> your leg up to get leverage. Like... I cannot tell you how many times, like, PSA. there must be, t- yeah, there must be hundreds of people every year who get their leg cut off because they do this. Like, those don't do it. More specifically, yeah. Sean, if anyone's listening to this podcast while using a chainsaw, stop. Right. And take yeah. your wallet out of yeah. your pocket. Yeah. Agencies have, have notoriously gotten really, really good at just like growth, 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 growth. Not many agencies focus on retention other than just like straight email, um, get more customers. Customer experience is kind of always viewed as this outsource, the easiest thing to outsource, the cheapest thing to, to outsource. Um, I'm curious, obviously my my whole career is around like making that front and center um, which is like, again, I don't think the ideal scenario for every business. Um, but having said that, I'm curious how you kind of view, you know, lifetime warranty is a huge step in the direction of like, okay, we're not fucking around with the experience we people have with us. Because again, like whether or not somebody's buying one wallet or seven wallets, I think pulling in a warranty after having a wallet for four years and it got driven over by a truck makes you feel a certain kind of way about brand. Um, I'm curious on your thoughts around CX, outsource, insource. You know, going back to the agency days, the reason why me and Connor are in such commanding positions of Ridge, even though we're not the founders, right? But we're both, you know, own big chunks of equity and we we run this business as CEO and CMO is because the original founders, Daniel, Paul, uh, and Austin, uh, you know, really didn't want to be in the weeds on a day-to-day basis for their business, right? They're, they're really product guys. They want to be focused on product. So part of the reason why our agency scaled and developed this relationship with Ridge is because they didn't want to do shit like customer service or imports or any of that type of stuff. So we, our agency was unique is that like, we started as a growth agency. We did Facebook ads, then we did email. But then as the relationship with Ridge developed, it's like, okay, we have to hire a customer service team because someone needs to do Ridge's customer service, right? They don't want to do that. So we got all that stuff under our agency roof. So early on, 
in our agency days and our agency DNA, we were doing everything. I would say that our opinions of CX have changed and they're currently changing because we used to have it as an ops role, right? Still currently under my VP of ops. So what we would do is when we wanted to hire new people in the brand, they would start in the customer service department. We pay them $60,000 a year and it's like, you answer customer tickets. They're going to write in uh, and you're just going to take care of them. Here's the SOPs or whatever. And that's how we got our uh, director of international, our director of ops, our uh, director of customization, uh, our director of wholesale, all of those people, our, my chief of staff all started answering tickets some peak holiday season. Uh, but we've very much treated that as an ops role, right? And we just hired a VP of brand, comes from Fall Raven, Timberland. I saw that, uh, yeah. Filson. Uh, and for the first time, I think next year, we're going to move CX from ops to brand, right? And I think that's like part of us maturing as a company uh, because the ops shit works now. Like it used to be customer service issues were like, uh, things aren't shipping, <laughs> you know what I mean? Or things are late or packages are lost. And now that all basically functions, right? Like all that stuff is totally normal and growing pains for a brand. Like the number one ticket you're going to get is where is my order? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that doesn't change no matter what you're selling, right? Like, uh, and so because those were ops related issues, we've had to solve them in the ops department. But now that that's functioning, that's button up, that works, we can actually start solving them from a brand first perspective, right? Like we've done very little, you know, outbound tickets, right? So everything has been reactionary. Everything's been, you know, inbound, right? Occasionally there's like a follow-up from somebody in customer service, just to people who purchase being like, hey, how'd you like that, right? But I think next year, what we're going to do is write that message to everybody five days after delivery, right? And actually have someone on the other end answer those tickets because, for the first time, instead of trying to minimize tickets, we're going to try to maximize conversations, right? That's like a big difference, you know, and I think you can learn a lot about where a brand is on their life cycle by the way they treat things like CX, right? Um, I think early on, you're maximizing conversations. And then once you get to 5, 10, 15, 20 million, it's about minimizing tickets. <laughs> it's like, how do we get these people to not write in as much as possible? But I think as you start to get uh, closer to the 100 million plus 100 million, uh, like probably up until a half a billion, you need to be maximizing conversations and being like, hey, what can we do better? Like, what do you guys need from us? And then once you get to being a large company of at over 500 million in revenue, you're back down to minimizing tickets. <laughs> like, that's just kind of like the, the, the life cycle I've seen play out. So we're, we're, we're going towards that half a, half a billion. I, I think that's spot threshold. on. I've never thought about it that way. Um, but it's, it's spot on right at the beginning of the business, you're, you're a mom and pop shop or you have a tiny team and you're just like trying to like, you're angrily typing to customers, hoping that they'll respond. Um, and then you get into that let's get rid of these tickets um, and then back to this kind of brand moment. So it's been a hard year for e-commerce brands. And, you know, one thing that we've all been focusing on a lot more, certainly us at Jones Red have been focused on a lot is retention, specifically owned audiences. What are you doing to provide the best possible customer experience and getting as much value and revenue as you can out of your existing customer cohorts? And an amazing way to do that is with an owned app using Tapcart. I truly believe, you know, a few years ago when everyone was starting, you know, SMS programs, 
I really didn't think that brands needed to, you know, have an SMS program. And, you know, I kind of feel the same about apps. At first, I wasn't really sure. I thought a website was fine. But honestly, since since learning about Tapcart and seeing how great it is, I've actually become a believer. And I really believe that for most brands, having an app as a part of their retention tech stack for owned audiences is such a great idea. So what I want to do is just show you guys a little bit of the inside of Tapcart. I just show you what it looks like, preview the app for you, and just kind of walk you through how easy it is to use it. It's super cool. Before I got started with Tapcart, I thought that I really didn't know much about an app, but I figured it would take a ton of time, be super expensive to develop, thought you needed your own developers, but it's actually super simple. Tapcart set up this app for us in about a week. They do all of the design. They pretty much make it just so easy. So all you have to do, if you can plug and play and, and drag and drop, just like a landing page builder, you can get an app going for your store pretty instantly, you know, in a matter of weeks at the very most, sometimes within a week. So I just want to kind of show you guys the app. I mean, look at it. It looks just like our website. It's pretty awesome. You can have, you know, your nav, you have your logo in here, you have a cart. You can, again, it's, look how easy it is just to edit the content. You can just, you know, change your images, change where it goes to, change the section. They've just got a bunch of these sections that you can kind of just put in there, especially if you want to do something, you know, an app is a great time, you know, to offer uh, a great place to offer promos, exclusive things to your existing customers. You can put in here, you know, look how easy this is just to drag and drop, right? Like I said, if I can do it, anyone can just drag and drop, edit the content, remove it. You can change your, you know, your font, but yes, yeah, it's, it's a great time. It's a great place to offer promos. So you can definitely kind of make use of, of some of this existing content. Uh, just kind of drag and drop some of these blocks in when you want. You can have videos in here, so it's great for content, exclusive content for for your customers. Again, it looks just like our website. They were able to match it pretty perfectly. But you know, one of the benefits is because it's an app, it loads super quickly. So yeah, again, you can see kind of how easy it is. You can edit, you know, theme settings in here. You can edit the navigation. It's super cool. They've got some really cool features to to grow your app and your user base. Where you can scan a QR codes, so you can you know print or create a QR code that you can use online or anywhere. Direct people to your app if you want to you know direct people to to your app to get a discount from your Facebook group, whatever it is. So this is a super cool one uh, that I've seen a lot of brands use really well. You know you can get a ton of data. Uh, you know, another thing I love is push notifications. So again, we're all trying to reach customers where you know ads are expensive, CPMs are up. It's getting harder to track. So we're all trying to reach places and email is great. SMS is great, but, it, but it, you know, there's a cost to it. The cool thing about a push notification is there's no additional cost to send a push notification. So just like you're going to set, set up, you know, I'll, I'll show you exactly how to do it. Just like you're going to set up a text, you can set up a push notification just as easily. But with a text, there's a cost every time you send it out. And if your brand's growing, that can, that can definitely add up. With a push notification, there's no incremental cost. So you can set up, you know, based on a product, you can do it based on a collection, uh, so again, I think that this is super cool. You can do it based on a collection. You just write your copy in here. It's super easy. Change some settings. You can schedule it. It's awesome. It's super cool. Uh, it's a great way just, again, to be able to kind of another way to reach your customers without an additional cost. The great thing is, right, it takes up it takes up the screen. You can even make these full screen, and there's no additional cost, you know, if I, if I haven't said that already. I love it. I think it's super cool. Like I said, I think nearly everybody should consider having an app. And the best part is if you go to uh, tapcart.com slash down to chat, you can actually get up to two months free. Go to tapcart.com slash down to chat. You can see this amazing landing page that I have. Just fill out your info, book a demo with the Tapcart team. And I highly recommend you do if you're trying to squeeze out more incremental revenue from your existing customers in 2023. You have so many hot takes and I kind of want to spend a couple of minutes or last 10 13 minutes, um, walking through some hot takes and, and either you kind of double down and you say, fuck yeah. Um, 
or you say, let me explain. Um, and I'm just, I have zero notes. This came about on Twitter and we clicked record 30 minutes later. So I'm just kind of remembering um, in the back of my head. Uh, well, well, you have a, a bunch of hot takes, but I want to talk about like things that you may have never mentioned, but are mega hot takes on Twitter, like brand or performance, um, you know, set the record straight for all the, for all the fuck boys that are always kind of typing on Twitter one way or another, really strong. Um, I'm curious. Yeah. Let's start with that. Let's start with brand versus performance. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, should we make ugly ads? There's, uh, there's a lot inside that cake, right? Um, so like the first layer of that is you do not get to be a brand without some amount of performance, right? Like we've seen people with very beautiful brands and no sales and they don't get to stay around for a long time. Not trying to dunk on anybody, but house that alcohol brand. That's what that was. Everyone was like, it's so beautiful. It's so well done. Turns out they were doing like $80,000 a year in sales or something, right? Obviously way more, but like uh, you don't get to be a brand without some level of performance, right? The other thing I'll say is what defined brand for the past 10 years was shit that looked exactly the same. That looked like blue, like blue apron was like the gold standard of branding. Uh, Ridge, I think, does more revenue than Blue, than Blue Aver. You know what I mean? Like they they're a disaster. Like they're 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 sent they're a zombie company that, that went public, right? So now your idea of brand, uh, if it's that very narrow thing, in the agency days, people used to come in and be like, our customer shops at Acne Studios, uh, lives in Silver Lake, uh, you know, like drives this type of car. Where they they were describing like on earth 15,000 people i'm like okay that's your customer 15,000 like there's just that's, that's not an addressable market you know what i mean it's a very specific type of person so uh to, so to clarify my first statement uh you do not get to have a brand without some level of performance and your idea of brand needs to change because here's a brand people never fucking heard of grunt style okay uh they make like you know military t-shirts that have funny slogans or whatever people will look at that and be like that's not a brand no it is a brand it has branding it's just branding that you might not like they're doing hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue so uh this idea of brand uh can exist and it's separate from like this you know very new york city silicon valley you know specific type of thing so anyway your brand can be ugly ads like brand doesn't have to be beautiful, right? Um, the next thing I'll say is performance only gets you so far, right? I feel like Ridge has maximized how far performance can take you. And like this, it's not trackable. There's no data behind this, right? Like you literally, it's it's in the ether. It's it's You will never be able to get to the root cause of this. But at a certain point, prefer, performance optimized tactics have a cap on your revenue. You need to have something magical pull you out of that right a good example is hexclad jason very public on twitter the guy's the fucking best right they are the fastest growing biggest econ brand i know so growing faster than ridge bigger than ridge uh you know they're just fucking crushing it and you know for a long time their performance shit was very average i think they're working with homestead i think the performance is getting a lot better but they've survived and been able to so so They've gotten to this point because of brand and now they mix in that performance stuff. And that, that's where the magic happens. Performance and brand coming together. They will be a billion dollar company 
within the next two years. There'd be some sort of either transaction or IPO or something. That's a, they have billion dollar DNA. Uh, and that DNA is brand and performance coming together in some magical mix. So uh, anyone who is single-minded and thinks there's only one way to do this is either wrong or trying to sell you something. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> that's just the reality. I am always right and I'm never trying to sell anybody anything. So I'll Wait, just tell it the way. Tell it the way. Can I sell you UGC? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, is every, so is everyone I've ever met. Um, but anyway, so that's, you know, to, to get off my soapbox quickly, there's so many successful brands out there, right? I mean, in the thousands, you know what I mean? Uh, and they've all had their own unique story to get there. A lot of them have a lot of great brand DNA. A lot of them have a lot of great performance DNA. You need some mix to get about $50 million, right? And you'll watch brands stall out at 20 million, 25 million, 30 million because they don't have one of those things. It's kind of like in a video game where like you're building a character and you get little points, right? Yeah. And you could put some points into brand, some points into performance, some points into operations, but you only get so many points. And if you put all your points into one, you're not going to go anywhere, right? Um, Spot on. All, all of this is spot on. I mean, I think we've 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 messed up into in thinking that brand is branding, right? It's like the way it looks and the way and and it's not like brand is the way it makes somebody feel. It's like the the DNA, the 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 what of a of a organization. Um, but I think the I think the yeah I think we've we've often viewed it as one or the other and not both. It's spot on. All of it's spot on. Do you have something to add? I was just going to say that you were incredibly correct when you said. Uh, brand isn't branding and it's also it's not one specific type of branding like for so long people have, have wanted to hit this exact you know like cookie cutter type of branding and i bring up grunt style as an extreme example of yeah you might not like them you might fucking hate them you might hate everything they stand for that's a goddamn strong brand like the people who they want to go after love that <laughs> you know what i mean uh and we could all learn like you know you should learn from everybody you know what i mean like you should learn from them as somebody who's doing brand to the extreme but it's working for them <laughs> i mean it's like anyway, liquid death right? like liquid death is, is making people feel a certain kind of way with the water they drink i mean i think that's that's powerful whether or not we we love or dislike or feel any kind of way about it or even about the product i think they're people are aligning on a way that they feel based on a beverage they're drinking. I mean, obviously that goes very far back. I mean, Coke has done that, but um, I think it, for me, like I've always been like, this is so lame. Like this is just like this hardcore heavy metal water. But I think it gets to a point where you're just like, this is a statement that people are making based on the beverage they pick up at a Whole Foods. And I think that's whether the other thing I'd say is like, some of it is not even intentional, right? Like sometimes brand just goes way past you ever thought it would go. And you're just like, what the fuck is this monster I created because it's living on its own. And I think that that's maybe scary for CEOs and CMOs, but I think brand often takes, takes a life of its own. Right. And that's the best, that's, that's the best thing you can happen. Right. Like at the end of the day, companies you create are living things They have their own arcs. You know what I mean? They'll come up, they'll come down, they'll find their own friends. Uh, you're there to you know nurture it, but at the end of the day, you you don't have full control, um, and I think people do hate that. Tell me about brands under fifty million not needing attribution tools, dude. That's like, look, I'm an avid Northbeam user, Northbeam supporter. We get a ton of value out of that. You know what I mean? I'm pretty sure it costs us thousands of dollars a month. I haven't really 
like check it, it does right look it's it's an awesome tool for what i'm doing but the attribution wars it was it was like people were arguing about like you know which e-com platform to use or something it's like hey look it's we're just go on shopify it's like i have problems with shopify but like they won that battle right and and attributions are nice to have until you get to a certain point. And for the most part, most people don't need it. Like most people listening to your podcast or on Twitter or like these small brands, like if you're running ads on Facebook and that's your only channel, why do you need an attribution tool? I'll tell you where every one of your customers came from. They came from Facebook. <laughs> and it's like, it's like. No customers, like, your ads like, aren't working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, it's like, look, there's, you can achieve the same result with a little bit of manual work, but I think people were just really looking for a solution to fix Facebook fucking up or whatever. The solution's always been there with manual work. I always tell people about last click. They never want to fucking do it because you have to set up your, your, your campaigns differently or whatever. Like if you have Google Analytics and you ran Facebook ads, you have all of the data you need to make informed decisions going back to however long, right? You can just look at your CPA over time and keep doing whatever makes the CPA lower. If your brand is small, so small that the cost to use Northbeam, you'd be better off just using that money for ads than don't use Northbeam. And look, I love Northbeam. Don't use Triple Whale. Like, insert with anything there. Like, in, you know, Ridge, Ridge probably on Facebook alone last month, I'll just say it's multiple, multiple millions of dollars. Okay. So that Northbeam fee, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, whatever it is, very small percentage of my overall spend, right? Until you get to the point where you're talking about single percentages of spend, uh, you're better off doing something else. But if you're spending 5,000 a month on ads, 10,000, 20,000, 50,000, 100,000 a month on ads, where it's like, oh, fuck, North Beam is 3%, 5%, 10% of my overall spend, it's not going to make that much of a difference at your scale. You're spending on one channel, maybe you're spending on two channels, just spend more money, I know where your customers are coming from, the place you're spending the money. So, <laughs> Sean, um, once we have you on fire, let's talk about other things that your business under 50 million does not fucking need. Oh, man. I mean, uh, who are your podcast sponsors? Let me start going down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just joking. I'm just joking. Oh, uh, gosh. Yeah. Look, uh, most software people sell you, like uh, most things, you need, you need a website. You need a checkout system. Under 10 million, you basically need Shopify and you need a Facebook ads pixel. Like those two things, you're gonna spend money on Facebook and you're gonna drive to Shopify. That can get you to $10 million, right? Like everything above that is probably just like wants and needs. Like you probably need reviews, right? There's there's tons of free ones. Anyone selling you machine learning for reviews is lying to you. Drop you the AI. Yeah, yeah, you probably want some landing page testing. Anything that's like we recommend products and the upsells are better. It's, they're lying to you. Just, just do any upsell and it'll it'll do fine. Um, so yeah, any of that type of shit. Like what about hires? Know, what 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 hires are people getting excited with when their business is under 30, 40, 50 million that you think is outrageous and, and people should not be hiring for? That's more nuanced to the actual type of business, right? I'll tell you, Ridge has 53 employees and we do more than $2 million per employee. So I think that that's the gold standard you should shoot for. And a lot of times I'll talk to companies that have teams of 30 and they're doing $12 million. And I'm like, what do those people do? Uh, people always talk about, oh, we're going to do more with less, but then they never do it. Just try to do, just try to do more with less. Like, 
Rich has battle plans. It has contingencies. It's like me and Connor can run the entire company. I'm like, no offense to my team. My team's fantastic. I love everyone that works with me. They all get paid well. They get bonuses. They fucking, they, we've never had anybody quit. I don't think like nobody leaves the company. Like we have a good culture, but like, we think about like, what's the worst case scenario? How, like what happens? Right. And it's like me and Connor back in a room, he's running ads. I'm trying to do everything else. You know what I mean? And, uh, like, obviously we're never going to go there, but it's like, that's like the poverty mindset we came out of, right? Where it was like the agency world is doing more with less. you like, every employee you hire is less money you're getting from the client or whatever, right? So uh, that scrappy mentality is probably stuck with us. And I think people just have more of that. So I don't know what specific roles, if you say some, maybe I'll give you my opinion on them, but I can't think of it. You no, know, that's perfect. The, the, the funny thing about all that is I've sat on both sides. Like I've worked at very venture backed businesses where they had 75 people doing 30 million or whatever. Um, and then I've been here where, you know, we're, we're closer to Ridge um, at Jones and we then, than anywhere else. Um, and I think that it's, it's, it's a totally different kind of hire, right? Like the people that you're hiring at, at a venture backed business are going to be wildly different than your kind of like, a player chip on the shoulder, um, bootstrap type type of employee. I think that's different. Now, I don't think that it's like you have to want to sit in traffic kind of energy. Um, but I think it's it's a different mentality in terms of like waking up in the morning and and every time Jones hires another employee, I think in my head, I'm like, wait, could I have done that as well? It's like, is this like another thing I could have taken on? Because I love that. Like, I think so many, so many people at Jones are generalists at heart. Like we love doing everything. Um, and we hire when we need to, because we're like, oh, this would make a ton of sense if we didn't have one person doing 17 things. Um, but it's, it's a whole different ball game as an employee, not just as a, as a leader. Like it's, a, it's an entirely different employment experience. So. Yeah. And you probably do hire different people. That's one of those things where it's like, they're different. They're not better. Right. Like, you know, you can learn from both sets of employees. Like, look, you could hire ex Google people to like run your, you know, tests or whatever, like on your e-com store. They're not going to be better at it because e-com is an entirely different skill base. Right. And like moves like it just both have their roles in the world, obviously. You know, I'm not going to say fucking Google employees suck. Right. But it's just like they'll probably reach different outcomes at different speeds. If you weren't slinging wallets, what would you be doing? And please don't say agency. You know, I think I would start selling UGC. Uh, (laughs) This is genius. Wait, has anyone done this? You know what I think I would do? I think I would DM people the word yo over and over again until I got a response. (laughs) Uh, That's actually really smart. And then would you sell them shit after or what what would like, how would that go? Yeah, I, I would... I would try to sell them copywriting. That's what that's what I'm gonna st- try to start doing. Uh, would no, you kind no. of mess around and skip skip most of the grammar and, and mess around some spelling when you're doing that? Because I think that would that would hit. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. I would sell ghost ghost written threads about the 17 tricks in Google Sheets. <laughs> no, what would I do uh, if I wasn't doing Ridge? I am able to work on Ridge because I'm incredibly passionate about e-commerce. I'm very interested by it. And like, it doesn't feel like work. I know that's like total bullshit, but like if you're actually listening and you don't feel that way about your job, you should just quit. Like there's, there's a better job out there where you can actually feel passionate. Like I get to work 17 hours every day 
and not feel tired or exhausted or bored because like I'm solving the problems I want to solve. Removing the financial equation or anything else, like I'm doing, I'm having the most fun ever, right? So uh, if I was still in e-com, I'd sell shoes. They're the best category. Like just get into shoes. Like if you're thinking of a certain e-com brand, figure out how to sell shoes because the most successful brands do that because they're hundreds of dollars and people buy multiple of them. The best fucking thing to sell. Like, I cannot think of a better thing. A lot of exchanges, though. Sizes, now. Sure, we'll deal with it. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like, the fact that you have a built-in repeat base of people who can use your product all the time, I would sell shoes. Or I would work with influencers. Like, you know, Ridge sponsors a ton of fucking YouTubers. And, like, we started doing that because I watch a ton of YouTube. And I I was watching somebody. I'm like, can I sponsor this guy? (laughs) And, like, because I love the contents that much. So I would do something with influencers. Maybe an agency business, maybe a SaaS tool, maybe something like that. Um, but yeah, those are that's probably what I would do. So you're you're really just an undercover SaaS agency guy after all this. Yeah, proud. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Would you, you know, would you I, mess around and sponsor my newsletter if you were in SaaS? <laughs> dude, I would sponsor newsletter right now with the wallets, man. We sponsor a lot of newsletters. Uh, but my newsletter, unsponsored. No <laughs> taking a sponsor. I, I don't want to be on anybody's payroll. You um, said you said you would take a sponsor for me. That's true. I will. I will plug your stuff. Uh, okay. I'm quickly. I'm quickly rising the ranks <laughs> of the newsletter cartel. How do people find you? What's your newsletter? Just go to my Twitter profile. It's linked in there. Uh, that's the only Twitter, place. Twitter profile is at Sean Ecom. Would would definitely recommend taking a peek. I mean, it does suck that it's never sponsored because I wish he'd make some money off of the gems he's sharing. But um, Sean said it here: the first sponsor of the of the Sean unsponsored is going to be Eli. Um, and we'll we'll kind of figure out how to make some magic. But uh, I feel like we can honestly do a Lex Friedman six hour podcast, but um, it would cut into your hustle time. Um, and I I don't want the walls to take a toll and a tumble, but, um, the funny part of all of this would be like, if we only have the second half of the podcast or like only the first half. So I feel like it'll be fun regardless, but it'll just be a little fucking nuts, which is kind of on brand for us. So, um, but also I think I shared this on the first one, but just want to plug my, my ridged forged ember. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Forged ember, man. That's, that's a, that's a top selling wall. It's $140. People fucking love it. There's a key case that matches a knife that matches. It We're comes cool, with man. extra extra screws just in case or open an emergency at something, right? A hundred percent. Namaste, dude. It's been <laughs> such a pleasure. Thank you, Eli. <laughs>